Hey friends, welcome back to, well, I guess, can I still say Pulp of the Pew podcast? It's not, I retired from podcasting, but I think I can still say that. But this is the week, this is our classroom edition as we've been studying through the book of Hebrews. I'm still putting these on here for now. Appreciate many of you have, have said, I've seen you in person or you've, you've written things and said some kind of things about the podcast. And I do think it's the right thing for now. Well, there may be a time when I get uh, back behind. I've got the gear and the stuff, so um, maybe a time when I get back to doing some podcasts. But uh, I'm enjoying some time with family. I've already had two baseball practices with the boys, and uh, we're we're about to take off on that. So, but this week we took off on that Hebrews chapter number three. Ran into some a really good passage, a passage I really enjoy talking about rest and what does it mean. How do we get it? We're going to get more into it some more next week, and I think I referenced that during the lesson. But um, I think let's just jump right into it. So without further ado, here is this week's adult Bible study, Hebrews chapter 3, starting verse 7. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 3 again. We left off last week at uh, verse 6, I believe. And so here in a minute, I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. I really want to get into chapter 4 because it talks about the same thing, but we'll probably have to get to that next week. But um, we have been, we've been talking, the, the author of Hebrews has been writing to Jewish believers, remember? That's important, he's writing to these Jewish believers, and they were weary. They were struggling. So you got these Jewish believers that are weary and struggling. They're thinking about just kind of going back, and it's, it's as if Christ is not enough. And they want to go back and put themselves underneath the, the bondage, in a sense, of Judaism. They were weary. They were struggling. And the, the author is writing to them. You may remember, like, from chapter 2, and he said in the verse 1, he, he didn't want them to slip. He didn't want them to drift. He was, there was a danger that you can drift. When you get weary, when you get discouraged, you can, you can drift into a place where you shouldn't be. And that was one of the first warning passages, and today we'll come to another warning passage as he's writing to these weary Jewish uh, believers. But notice what he says. I want to read the whole text today. Usually I just walk through it. I want to read the whole text, and then we'll end up walking through it. But notice what he says. Remember last week he talked about Moses, and he's just coming off the cuff of this. So he's saying Jesus is better than Moses. And I said last week, it's kind of hard two weeks ago, it's kind of hard for me to convince this class that Jesus was better than Moses but they had such a respect for Moses. He gave them the law. He led them um, out of Egypt, which I'm going to talk about here in just a minute because that's what the illustration that's used here. And so he's coming off of that, and now he's going to get into some of what took place with Moses, starting in verse number 7. He says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you'll hear his voice, in these next few verses he's actually quoting from Psalm 95. I'm not going to go back there. But he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today... So the emphasis on now, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. So last week, or a couple of weeks ago when we talked about he was just concerned about them drifting. But now notice this, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation. The day of provocation, talking about the time after the exodus of Egypt and the time of the wilderness, which we're going to get into in just a second. It says, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers, talking about those that came out of Egypt in the wilderness there, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. So remember, he's quoting from Psalm. This was written in the book of Psalm. David wrote it. So verse 10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, 
and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, notice the emphasis, he's wanting them to get this assurance, get this confidence, get back today. He says again, he says, while it is yet today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day, as in the provocation. He's repeating this illustration again of after the exodus in the wilderness that we're going to get to and you get, we'll go walk through it. He says, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Remember, 40 years was the length of time in the wilderness. Who was he grieved with it? Why, did they, why were they in that wilderness? And you're going to explain that to me in a minute as we walk through this. But was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? So, they, so who did he tell they couldn't enter into rest? Well, rest wasn't used in Egypt when they came out in the wilderness. The other word was used, this word Canaan. So who, who was told that they couldn't enter into this rest with the Canaan? He says, uh, where was I at? Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So after talking about Moses, he now gets into using an illustration of the time of Moses, and he takes us back to these Egyptians. And we just talked about this in Exodus, so it was pretty nice. Our last series was in Exodus. But you remember when they were in bondage in Egypt. These Israelites, they had come over to Egypt because of Joseph. When Jacob was reunited with Joseph and he was brought, they were brought over to Egypt. They were given the land of Goshen. And things were great for them for a while until Joseph died. And the next guy that came in had forgotten all about Joseph. And he noticed that, <coughs> excuse me, that these Israelites, these Jews that were living in Goshen in Egypt were, were growing pretty large. And he got paranoid and he wanted and he he wanted to deal with this so he started to kill some off and then he made them slaves they were in bondage in Egypt right and then god raised up a deliverer we know that deliverer to be moses moses at first remember the whole miraculous story of moses in the basket and then moses was um um left for 40 years after killing one of the egyptians he came back to de to deliver them and moses eventually after all those plagues that we discussed. What was the last one, by the way? You remember the last one? The blood on the doorpost. So I put the red here. Because that last one, he was leading them out. And all those who by faith, really by faith, because they had to put that blood. Jesus, God had told them, put the blood on the doorpost of the mantle. And those that do that, they're going to be saved. And so those that by faith placed the blood on that, they were, they lived and then Moses led them out of Egypt. So even in our study, when we were in Exodus, we said Egypt was a picture of what? Do you remember? It's a picture of our bondage and sin being lost. We're, we're in the bondage. They were in the bondage of sin. But bl the blood, those that looked to the blood and by faith put the blood, they were, they were set free. They were free from the bondage of that. And, and they were led out of that bondage of sin 
and they were on their way to Canaan. Now, as they got out of there, they came to, I mean, we could go in after they were set free. Remember, they struggled quite a bit. They got to the Red Sea, got to the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea. But before the Red Sea parted, what were all the what were all these Israelites doing? Do you remember? They were complaining, weren't they? Well, why'd you bring us back here? Why didn't we just go back to Egypt, back to our bondage? And a lot of times after our, we are saved, we things happen in our lives. This is, this is the lesson we're going to get to, but we'll, we'll show it. But they, some difficulties came. They didn't have food. They, they thought they were going to die. They didn't have water constantly. Well, it was better back in Egypt. It was better back in Egypt. And they were constantly struggling with this cycle of unbelief, not believing the God that they watched do all of the miracles and deliver them. They were constantly struggling with this idea of unbelief. That led us all the way up here to the book of Numbers. Getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. I've said this, feels like hundreds of times, and I've said this in this class multiple times, Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Canaan is a picture of the victorious Christian life. It's a picture of the Christian life lived the way God expects it to be. Why do we think that? Because if you think about it, what happened once they got into Canaan? I'm fast forwarding through this. I'll come back to it. Once they got into Canaan, they faced this little place called AI, not artificial intelligence, but it was AI. We may face artificial intelligence in the future, but uh, what was, remember AI, what happened in AI? They, Joshua didn't, didn't pray. Joshua was now leading. Didn't really pray, didn't ask, just thought they'd go up. And what happened? He got defeated. He, he got defeated. And they lost like 30-some men. And they lost a battle in Canaan. Let me ask you this. When we get to heaven, are we going to lose any battles? No, I'm not going to lose any battles in heaven. Not because heaven, heaven is a picture of rest. But it's not the Canaan rest that is being referenced. The Canaan rest is the rest that we have in Christ. There are three rests we could talk about in the Bible. One of them is our key passage. There's the, the rest of salvation. There's the rest of salvation. In our key passage on Sunday nights, the passage is, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's the rest of salvation. For souls that are restless about what is going to happen to me, they're restless about their sin, they're restless about what's going to happen when they die, there is the rest of salvation. And they experience that back here, the rest of salvation. There's uh, eternal rest. There's eternal rest one day. Now, it says in uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Man, one day in heaven is going to be rest. No more flat tires once or twice. No more of that. We're going to be in heaven. And it's going to be a day. It's going to be time of rest. He says we're going to be able to rest from our labors. It's going to be a beautiful time. Rest from sin. Rest from everything. But then there's another type of rest described throughout the Bible. And it's the rest of submission. The rest of submission, which is where we see the problem here and in the text to these Jewish believers. It's the rest of submission. It's the abundant life that Jesus talked about when Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I've come to give you life. That's salvation. And that you may have life more abundantly. That's the life of submission. 
he's, he talks about it multiple times in, in, in various verses, but it, it's the life of fruitfulness. It's the life of peace. I think of the hymn, it says, Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. That comes to the, to the life of, of submission to Christ when we live in submission to Christ. But to these weary Jewish believers that were kind of in the same place that these Israelites were here after, the, after leaving the bondage of Egypt on their way to the Canaan rest, the place that was promised, but they were, they were stuck in this cycle of unbelief. And that's what this passage is talking quite a bit about, about the idea of unbelief. He says, and he talks about them hardening their hearts. You saw that in verse 8. And, he, and he's talking about, now back up, he says, he says, today if you would hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation, this wilderness time, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. He says, This generation right here, I had done everything for them. And then they get out here and they start to doubt. They start to they start to have unbelief. They they they, they remember they, I want to go back to Egypt. We don't have water. I want to go back to Egypt. This is difficult. They were constantly filled in this what I call the cycle of of unbelief that we see in this passage in Hebrews. The same cycle he was concerned about these Jewish believers having. What is the cycle? Well, the cycle was first the idea of unbelief. He says in verse 11, So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. This right here. They didn't. Get, a lot of them, remember, 20 and older, they didn't get into the rest. They didn't get into the Canaan land. He said they're not going to enter my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you... So now he's talking to these Hebrew Jewish believers. He's talking to us in this class right now. Take heed, members of this class, my brethren, the word brethren there referring to believers. Take heed, brethren, believers, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now those are strong words. And then the surface, we just look at that and say, oh, he's talking to a person that's not a Christian departing from the living God. Actually, he's talking to Jewish believers. I think he's talking to you and me. You say, well, I would never depart from the living God. Okay, have your tire go out on 70. <laughs> Get frustrated. Twice. Twice. Uh, and then, now, I'm using that as a joking little illustration. But there, how do we depart from the living God? Now, I'm going to get into some of this in the evening lesson probably tonight. But it's this. remember, he's talking about, and I want to read the next verse. Well, no, not the next verse. We'll get into it in a minute. But he's talking about this cycle of unbelief. It starts with unbelief. It's, it's doubting God's word, which doubting's not always it's okay, but it's heading the wrong direction. But it leads to unbelief. It's, it's unbelief in the promises or God's ability. So let's say... I always seem to use this illustration, but let's say God wants me to witness to Nate, and we're out in the gas pump, and I see Nate there, and he's not saved. And the Spirit of God prompts me to say, hey, you need to go over to that guy. Look at his shirt, man. You can tell he's not saved. You know, you need to, you need to go witness to that guy. The Spirit of God prompts me to go be a witness to him. I don't think that's the devil. He needs to be saved. But I'm nervous. I'm not, I'm not at rest right now. Man, I'm restless about that. Man. I'm restless. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. Well, that statement right there is me trying to do it in my own strength. But then I'm like, I remember, well, God's, God will help me. He'll be there 
But I'm like, ah, I don't know. The guy, at least intimidating. Look at this guy. I don't know. Now unbelief is creeping in. Now, I'm doing it in somewhat of a joking way, but unbelief is creeping in. I'm doubting God's ability to use me. That's unbelief. I'm restless. I'm living in unbelief right now. And what can happen is we depart from the living God. We refuse God's will for our life and stubbornly choose our way one way. And you know what we may do sometimes? We're sitting there and not restless about whether we should do this or not. And we just say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm just I'm not going to mind my I don't need to bother him anyways. I'm just going to mind my own business. We pump gas and we leave. Now, what have I done? I departed from the living God. I departed from trusting in him. And I've hardened my heart, and I decided to settle outside of God's will. Now, that was one simple illustration. You can apply it in many different ways, but it happens. That's what they did in this time right here that he's referencing in this passage. Multiple times, you think about when they got here right before Canaan. That's the part I didn't say. I should have said because it's what this main passage is about. You remember the 12 spies? Those 12 spies went over there, and what did they, when they came back, what did those 12 spies base? At first, at first, what did they say? It's everything that God promised. I mean, look at these grapes, they said. It's great. Everything, it's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. So they knew that the promises of God were true, but they didn't believe that they could beat those giants. Unbelief. That unbelief led them to what? They said, we can't do it. We cannot do this. Even though this is promised, this is what God has been telling them, this is what Moses has been telling them, this is your promised land, this is what Hebrews calls rest for them. They got right here and said, everything God said is true, but we can't do this. Unbelief. So then they said, we're not going to do it. Departed from the living God. And they hardened their heart. And God said, you're not going to have rest. You're not going in. They already got through this. But now God says, you're not going in. And he uses that illustration in this passage, talking to weary Jewish believers that were in the same similar thing, where they needed the life of faith in Christ, just continue in Christ, and things may be difficult, you may be weary, but keep your eyes on Christ. And they're looking back to their past ways and thinking, I don't know. And he's saying to them, no, don't harden your heart. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief. Now, it's easy to look at this passage and say, I don't know if he's talking to a Christian. Well, the evil heart of unbelief, you remember that, remember that guy in the, in the Gospels broken over his son? But he said, God, I believe. But then his next words were this, help thou my unbelief. You know, go back to my silly illustration. It could be, what could happen here is, God, I believe that I can be a witness to him. Help me in my unbelief, because I just feel like I'm going to stumble over my words. I feel like I don't know what I'm going to say. I feel like he's going to ask me a question I can't answer. God, there's unbelief there. But a beautiful prayer sometimes silently, if you do it out loud at the pump, it's going to look a little weird, all right? But a beautiful prayer is, God, I believe this is what I should do. Help my unbelief. I'm doubting right now. But then what's the next step? You've got to go in faith. Faith is... We're not going to get to chapter 4, but he's, he's talking about faith in general. But there's this cycle of unbelief. It's, it's doubting God's word and his promises, and then leading to unbelief. It's departing from the living God, refusing God's will in our life. And then there's the hard heart. We settle outside of God's will. Sadly, there's a lot of believers that get stuck in this cycle right here. I mean, they are just stuck 
in this cycle right here. They're not enjoying the rest of Canaan. They're not enjoying the rest of the Christ, the rest, R-E-S-T, of the Christian life that they're supposed to have because they're constantly in the cycle of unbelief. They're just like doubting God and his promises. They're thinking, well, I have, uh, there's no way I can have victory over this anger. There's no way I can have victory over this worry. There's just no way. And we just live in this cycle of unbelief instead of enjoying the rest of submission, submitting to Christ, submitting to the spirit of God that lives inside of us. Yes, we're saved. So we have the rest of, of that salvation but you remember what I say all the time? The gospel is not just dealing with our past and our future. It deals with our present. The gospel deals with our present. And our present is this right here. It's the life of submission to Christ that it gives us this rest. He says, man, these, these, these guys, they're not this Jewish believers. He says, don't harden your heart. He wants them to continue to look unto Jesus. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily. While it is called today, he says, it may be that we need to encourage one another. You know, sometimes we may need to, there may be hearing some discouragement in a, in a brother or a sister in Christ. And you hear them, during, encourage one another, encourage them to, hey, remember Christ. You can do all things through Christ. Remember to look unto Jesus. We need to encourage one another in this Christian life because it can get tough. And a lot, there are a lot of restless Christians out there that are constantly defeated by their flesh and constantly defeated by the things of this world. And they're not taking advantage of all that they have in Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians that are restless. When I, when I preached on this text in a more organized way than I'm doing right now, years ago, I entitled the message, a cure, The Cure for Restless Living. And I, and I was looking at my notes from years ago, and I think when I started it, I was talking about and it's funny, here's, this was probably, I don't know how many years ago, but here's what I said. I didn't use it today, but I said, with gas prices up, the economy struggling, wars and threat, threats of wars in our society, our, then our society is restless. That's what I said. This is probably 12, 13 years ago. But isn't that the same thing today? Gas prices are up, there's wars and rumors of wars, and our society is restless. Christians are restless. Why are we restless? Because we live in this cycle of unbelief instead of just trusting in Christ to give us the victory, to live out what he says is ours. So then verse 14, he says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of confidence steadfast unto the end. Now, I'm going to acknowledge this is an extremely controversial passage, and it all depends on which glasses you have on. My goal today, and I forgot them, I was going to come in wearing pink glasses. <laughs> And I was going to stand here during all the prayer. I don't know if you can pray in pink glasses, so I may have taken them off. But I was going to wear pink glasses the entire time or borrow my grandpa's yellow glasses. Because my grandpa's yellow glasses, everything looks yellow. And so what I was going to say, to use illustration, whatever, a lot of times when you're studying the Bible, whatever perspective you have, whatever, uh, that's how all that you can see. And, and so, but... So when you know, I was going to have two different glasses. When you put on one glasses, man, I look at this and it says, "Well, you can lose your salvation. Your salvation, you got to hold on to 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 the very end if you're going to be if you're going to be saved." I mean, so that's a scary thing. And so if I have a worrier in here that's always worried whether they're saved or not saved, whether they lost their salvation, they're like, "Man, it's responsible. I have to hold on." Man, I can't hold on. Well, we know that we're in Christ's hands. Those that are truly saved. They're in Christ's hands. 
When he says we are made partakers of Christ, we are in union with Christ. That is the same idea as that of, of, of John chapter 15 when he talks about abiding in Christ. He's saying to these believers, you have available to you everything in Jesus Christ. Everything. This room right here. You have everything available to you. You are a partaker of Jesus Christ. You're saved. If you're saved, you have everything available. You're a partaker in Jesus Christ. You have the power to go witness to somebody and see a life changed. You have the power to pray and, and see answered prayer. You have the power to be able to do whatever God has called you to do. You, they had the power to be AI in every other battle that they would face in Canaan. They had the ability to win because they had Christ. They were partakers in God's blessing and what we would say in the Old Testament. We today are partakers in Christ. You have victory. We have it. But not everybody lives it. Why? Well, he says... If we hold the beginning of our confidence. What's the beginning of our confidence? You remember when you got saved? Man, everybody's on fire for this guy. A guy got saved, uh, was it Wednesday night? Well, Thursday we didn't have service. So that'd be amazing. But yeah, yeah, thir- Wednesday night. The, the missionary sang a song, Lord, I Need You. And this guy that's been coming but lost, he, all he did was hear a song. The Spirit of God chose to use a song. And he was under such conviction. After the service, Matthew talked to him, and he was praying when he got saved. And his, Matthew said it was like a movie. Matthew must have been peeking during the prayer, by the way. But he, he said the guy had his hands up like this, and he just said, and he was saying, God, I just forgive me of my sins. I am wicked. And he was just talking about his sin, and he's broken over his sin, and he asked God to save him. And, then he, said, and he had his fist, and he was like, God, just, just use me. I want you to use me in my life. I mean, he was, it, was a, it was just a neat testament. There's an excitement in him. That's wonderful. He's left Egypt, the bondage of sin, and now he's in here. Guess what? That guy, I don't know him personally, it's, he's not going to go through all of this and it'd be easy, is he? He's going to go to work on Thursday and there's going to be some temptation. He's going to get on Interstate 70 and lose two tires. <laughs> he's going to have all kinds of things come up in his life. And that, that beginning of confidence, that excitement, that burden, yes, God, I want that all of a sudden is going to be tested. That's going to be tested. So my belief is that he's not saying hold fast to the end so that you're saved. My belief is saying, you know what, constantly I have to be holding fast to the truth. The memory. I have to be reminding myself that I have everything in Christ. Because the world's going to try to rob what I, the truth. The world, just like Satan won a victory right here, Satan's going to want to try to win a victory in my life. He's going to want to get me in this cycle of unbelief. He wants me to not believe the truth of God's word. He's going to want me to forget about what took place in my salvation. He's going to want me to not live in victory. He's going to want me to live a restless life. He doesn't want me to have rest. Remember, the rest did not mean, did not mean no battles. When you go read the book of Joshua, they had to fight a lot of battles. But this is what he's referencing as rest, Canaan. So you can fight battles and have rest. Why? Because Christ has already given us the victory. But we have to constantly be reminding ourselves of that because there's going to be a temptation to have an evil heart of unbelief and depart from the living God, what we know to be true. There's a constant wrestling match. So he says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfastly. And while it is said today, today, 
If you would hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. He's saying, I'm saying to a class here, maybe restless with your lives, struggling with things you're saved, but you're just like, man, I just don't, I don't have nothing in my devotions. I have nothing in my prayer life. I come to church because I don't want people to, I'm just not, nothing's firing right now. Well, you're, li- you're in an evil cycle of unbelief. Don't allow your heart to be hardened. Right now, you can cry out to God. He's saying, he goes on, verse 16, For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all of them came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Forty years of the wandering in the wilderness, remember? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. What was the key? This is where it leads into next week. We're going to talk about faith. Because if I were to give you an official outline, the reason for their restless living was unbelief. But the remedy for restless living is Jesus. And that's verse 14. When he says you're partakers in Jesus, the remedy for this restless living is Jesus. But what I'll get into some more next week, and I want to read that last verse, is how do I receive that rest though? How do I receive that rest? If Jesus is the remedy, and the re- the, if, if, if I were to put this over here, and this is Jesus, and that is the remedy, and I would do this in a salvation illustration. That is the remedy, even if we want to do this part of rest. If Jesus is the remedy, and I'm over here in my unbelief, you can take this as an unsaved person if you want, but I'm talking to Christians today, and I think the author was as well. What is going to fill that gap? What takes me from this unbelief and restlessness and gets me over here to the rest that I have in Christ already? It's the same thing, really. That's why I say the same thing for all of these. And so when I preached this, I took a very neutral stance on this. And I just, I taught it to those that could be lost. I taught it to those that could be saved. But what is the the gap? What fills it? It's faith. He says the ones that didn't enter into this rest were those that believed not. They were the ones that came back from the promised land, and they said, guys, everything God said is true, but we can't win. What? So God said this is your land, and God said he's going to give you a victory, but you can't win? Why? Everything God said is true. What was the problem? Faith. The opposite of unbelief was faith. That was the problem. They didn't believe what God had told them. And so, if I was talking to unsaved, if this was applied to unsaved, so then those the difference between eternal rest and our restlessness is faith. And that's true. That's part of the gospel. That is the gospel. Faith is the only thing, and Jesus Christ is what makes that difference. It's only faith in Christ. But it doesn't change once you are saved. The only thing standing between my unbelief right now and in my illustration with Nate, in, in my joy over here of seeing Nate saved and seeing God use a nervous person to witness to someone, the only, the only thing standing between me and that was faith. I needed to act on faith. But as a Christian, you know what I could do? Walk away from that, pump my gas, and go on my way. Do I lose my salvation? No. Do I quench the Spirit, which I'll talk about some tonight? Yes, because the Spirit of God would have used me. And man, so many of us are missing out on what God has for us in the Christian life because we believe not. We don't believe. We believe for this. Oh, I'm saved. 
But on a daily basis, we live restless because we don't believe all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And so, a lot of these are good everyday people. They'll go to church, they read their Bible, they do daily things, but it's like we believe God enough to save us, but to help us with our anger, to help us with our worry, to help us with being a witness, to help us to teach a class, to help us to serve. I don't know if God can do that. Well, it's a, it's a faith issue. So he says, those that believe not, verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. What kept them from the promised land? It was unbelief. It was unbelief. And so what keeps us from the victorious Christian living sometimes? Unbelief. The spirit-filled life, unbelief. What keeps some lost people from heaven? Yeah, unbelief. But what keeps some Christians from the victorious Christian life? Unbelief, And so in this passage, he's talking to some restless, he says to them, take heed, brethren. He's warning the brethren. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief. And so my question for you today, as we come to the end of this lesson, is there in you an evil heart of unbelief? You say, are you calling me evil? No. Unbelief is evil. Is there any unbelief in your heart saying, where you're saying, God, I trust you that you save me. But this part of my Christian life, I am restless over. And that's the area I'm saying, don't harden your heart. Trust God. Keep your eyes fixed upon Him. Let's pray.